Where did you come from? You're the biggest toy I've ever seen. <laughs> and very well made, too. By the great dog star, Santa's treating him like a toy. Get him, Tor, grab him. He's become a toy. Ligna, we'll have to get Santa ourselves. Come on, Voldar. <laughs> What have we here? More toys? <laughs> Those are Martians. Santa Claus, you're coming with us. Welcome to episode 7 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water podcast network. Today we'll be reviewing <laughs> yep. Justice League International, number 22. Great issue. Great uh, cover. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Bast. And we take you back to 1988... Uh, on all of these episodes where we look at the DC Comics crossover event Invasion and all of its tie-ins. And this one was one of my favorites ever. The Justice League International number 22 with Oberon on the cover with the machine gun was great. And he seems to have won already. He's been fighting tiny, tiny Kuns. <laughs> <laughs> what looks like Kuns, actually. There's a fork. You know what? They're done because on the cover there's actually a fork stuck in one. So they are done. and But that's, that's only one of two stories that actually are featured in the book. Yeah. They're all under the same title, but really it's like what Oberon does and then what the rest of the Justice League do. Let's get this out of the way, though. If you want to hear more about the Justice League International, uh, you can find that on the Boahaha podcast by our good friend, the irredeemable Shag. And with different guests each month. I personally declined to do the invasion issues with him because I didn't want to repeat myself. Uh, so I'll be doing the lead-in issue, like 21. Okay. The issue before this, I'll be talking to Shag in, I don't know, two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I love, I love this issue. I never read Justice League International, really. I knew of them, and this is why I'm here. I mean, you read all this stuff beforehand. Uh, I never read it, and uh, so my take on it is very, very fresh. And I loved it. I and mine is it. old and dusty. <laughs> I love the Justice League International. We're going to take you through this issue, and which is a, an Invasion First Strike Extra. And then we'll talk about Justice League International, the Justice League, what it means to us, if anything, uh, at the end of the show. The story's called Little Murders by writers Keith Giffen and J.M. Demetrius. Uh, penciler Kevin Maguire. Inker Joe Rubinstein. Letterer Bob LaPan. Colorist Gene D'Angelo and editor Andy Helfer. The JLI has been called to the South Pacific in the story, but Maxwell Lord, Oberon, and Booster Gold stay behind at the New York Embassy on monitor duty. Booster is especially unhappy about this and really bored. Meanwhile, the aliens, who have taken over Melbourne, Australia's embassy, use its teleporter tube to send Kunz, shrunken with Imskian technology, to New York. These take care of Booster in three seconds flat, he thinks five, but it was three. <laughs> it's three. Leaving Oberon alone to fight them. Max is taking a nap at this point. <laughs> Oberon has the size advantage, but the tiny Kuns are better armed, at least until he gets to Blue Beetle's spare BB gun and overloads the small battalion's visual cortexes uh, with its flare function. He stuffs them in roach motels and chuckles at Booster's weak performance. This is the first half of the issue. First half of the issue, and this was fun. Although Max Lord did look uh, too much like Sean Connery. Oh, so, yeah. So every word bubble sounded like this in my head. Well, you can't say that life with the League is boring, can you, Oberon? 
So this is what I hear when I see Max Lord. That's some fun fantasy casting. But this was your first. This is the first issue of Just League International you've ever read. Yes, it is. You were aware that this was going to be a sitcom version of the Just League. <laughs> well, you kind of gave me a heads up. Okay. Uh, you, you told me this is what happens when they're not on a mission. So basically, the the background or what happens at the base or the headquarters or whatever. So I kind of knew that going in. I never thought it would be as fun. And the artwork is great in this. I love the artwork in this. Kevin McGuire is a master at the facial expression. Oh, and the man. facial and body expression. Yeah. So characters are always very... You can tell what their attitudes are. And a lot of the humor comes across from that alone. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what I really, really loved about it. Because it's a very funny issue all the way through. A lot of action and everything. But there's a lot of, a lot of gags, a lot of jokes. And it's very bantery. It, it is. It is very bantery. And even the Kuns and uh, the, the O'Karens and the Scion, I mean, they all have like these facial expressions and I just loved it. They're not just mad all the time. They, they kind of sometimes look goofy and, you know, and sometimes they, they look mad, but the, he even got the aliens to have nice facial expressions yeah. and I really love that. And that banter comes across. I mean, we already knew the, the Kuns and the O'Karens had a, a certain banter and competition going. Yeah. Invasion is written by Keith Giffen, as is this. Yeah. So, uh, it's all part of the same piece. It's actually a little closer to what Invasion is like, the, the sort of humor, sarcastic humor that's in there. It's it's great. It's actually very refreshing. Yeah. We, they call it a sitcom. Or it's sort of a superhero sitcom. Uh, but there are a lot of action notes and darker moments. Yeah. Uh, this is true of the entire series. But it is meant to be what happens... After the big fight, before the big fight, you know, that kind of thing. That, that's as important, if not more important, than yeah. the superhero action itself. But it doesn't skimp on those elements either. There's a lot of fighting in this, and the action is very fun. And I like the idea that, like Booster Gold at this point, he and Blue Beetle are sort of the punching bags of the <laughs> league. Well, they're goofy. They're both goofy. So they're bros. They're, they're, they're two friends. Yeah. They're up to some shenanigans, usually. They're the guys that want to shirk off work. They're the guys that are leering at uh, scantily clad superhero ends. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and they have posters in their rooms and stuff like that. Yeah, so they've got to be punished for their <laughs> uh, less than stellar behavior. And of course, I mean, Booster Gold started like this. Yeah. He was like the playboy, the original playboy superhero. He was the guy that was in it for the fame and yeah. the money and the endorsements. So when you surround him with more valorous superheroes like Martian Manhunter was on this team and others, you kind of need to poke fun at these two characters yeah. and make them a little silly you know as what? a result. They, they kind of, uh, and maybe I'll talk about this later on, but uh, they kind of remind me of what they tried to do with uh, Wally West and uh, Kyle Reiner when he was, uh, well, he still is a Green Lantern, on the Morrison run of, of the, the, JLA. Uh, the JLA, where they were younger and kind of wanted to be goofy, but they're they're both uh, legacy superheroes, so they had to be a little bit more serious. But on the side, they were yeah, sort of intimidated by the big guys. Yeah, exactly. But, but I, I don't think Booster Gold is intimidated by anybody. I think he just wants to goof off and be a superhero. It's his dream. It's like at this point, when you're a younger superhero and there have been superheroes forever, then becoming a superhero becomes a goal. Yeah, it's not something you fall into. Yeah, exactly. he wasn't bitten by a radioactive. Force field suit. <laughs> uh, one thing you'll have to uh, enlighten me. Uh, okay. I don't know because I've I've done some theater, 
from Theta. Uh, yes, and Oberon. Actor. Oberon is a uh, is a character from Shakespeare. Yes, from uh, he's Midsummer, a fairy so. king from Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, and uh, and this guy, this Oberon, I have no idea who Oberon is. Okay, but Oberon is, uh, and you should listen to the um, Secret Origins uh, episode that came out um, by this point, maybe a month ago. Okay, uh, there's a Mister Miracle origin for three weeks. Ryan has been covering all of the members of the Justice League International. Okay, perfect. So many of these secrets will be unveiled. Okay, so I will listen to it. Yeah, but Oberon... And I love that podcast anyway. It's great. So Oberon is the assistant of Mr. Miracle. So He's that, not a sidekick. He's an assistant. Uh, yeah, well, you could... I mean, I don't think he would like the word sidekick. <laughs> well, he... He likes the word dwarf. Yeah, no. <laughs> he says I'm a dwarf. Yeah, because which, he, he which kind of startled me. I was, oh wow. Today, dwarf. that's not the, the we wouldn't the, say that the now. Preferred term in but he, Yeah, but he came from a circus background. Okay, so where being a dwarf was like made sense, if you will. Okay, so is he like a metahuman? No, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He worked for a, an escape artist who went by the name Mister Miracle, Thaddeus Brown, and then something happens to. The Thaddeus, they, they were like best friends. They went to Vietnam together, which harks back to the cover where, where, where? He, he's dressed in, uh, in army, Ram, army clothes. Rambo with a gear. Gun. Rambo gear. Yeah. The Secret Origins of Mr. Miracle shows not Oberon with the machine gun, but Mr. Miracle with the machine gun full costume. Okay. So he had like like that. So Escape Mr. Artist had like a superhero theme. This Mr. Miracle, he wasn't, he wasn't scot-free. He wasn't the no. new god. He was Scott Free's mentor. Oh, will. okay. So Scott Free escapes from Apocalypse, all that, all yeah. that stuff. Comes to Earth, meets Thaddeus Brown. Thaddeus Brown dies. He takes over as Mister Miracle. He's also an escape artist, and then he, Big Barda, his wife, and Oberon have adventures. Oh, well, you know what? That's that's, that's good. Thank so you. So Mister Miracle joins the Justice League at this point, and Oberon comes with him and becomes part of the support staff. That's why he's there. Well, that's great. That's and, of course, if he's going to be fighting shrunken aliens, then he becomes the giant, where he's always the shorter person. Well, that's exactly... That's, that's, that's the joke. That's funny in this thing, because yeah. he's, uh, he's a very sarcastic little man. <laughs> he was like that in the Jack Kirby comics as well. I mean, he's very sarcastic and very funny, and I enjoy how he, how he just gets on boosters. You know, he just nags them and, and just pokes fun at them all the time. Yeah. So it's great. Booster's a punching bag, and Booster gets stuck on monitor duty, which was a thing that even in the, the old JLA comics, the, the satellite era JLA, yeah. people would hate to be on monitor duty as like the chore. You tried to, you know, can somebody cover my shift? Yeah. Because you're just sitting there in front of a TV screen and kind of deciding what what's worth bringing the Justice League in and if nothing happens. Uh, but for the Justice League International, that basically spending time at the base is part of the, the fun, then the boredom of it becomes its own thing. Monitor duty. Yeah, and he, you know, he plays checkers with Oberon, also loses, I think. <laughs> yeah, he loses. <laughs> so, he loses. Booster's not having a good day, and then when they take a break from their game, pew, pew, pew! Well, something happens to the transporter. This is this is what happens. Uh, they, they like remember in earlier podcasts, uh, they invade uh, Australia. They invade also where Tasmanian Devil was. Right. There's a transporter there that can transport people from 
anywhere. The, the on same Earth. Tra- transporters yeah. that were in the old JLA comics and the new JLA comics, well, they've been installed in different embassies across the world. Yeah, that's and, what, that's why it's international. Well, yeah, and they transport these uh, uh, reduced sized kuns uh, to the headquarters in uh, in New York. That's one of the things I found interesting was that they adapted Imskian technology. Imskians are the race of uh, shrinking violet in the Legion of Superheroes. So everybody on Imsk can shrink. Maybe they don't have a lot of space on that planet. They evolved shrinking. Maybe. Maybe (laughs) that they go to work big and they go home shrinking. I don't know. So they can shrink down. So they've... Somehow they've tortured Imskians, or, I mean, the way the Psions say it, and they're master torturers, you know, they go, um, the Imskian was easily relieved of his secrets. In other <laughs> words, they, like, a, you know, that person was dissected. Uh, so they, they found a way to shrink down Kuns. So you got little action figure Kuns. Yeah, action figure sized Kuns. Right. And so those are the guys that attack the embassy, and then they, they beat Booster super fast. <laughs> really fast. Catch him by surprise. Five seconds. He didn't have time to turn on his suit. Exactly. I suppose. And then um, Oberon has to fight them with bowling balls and whatnot. And a, a little funny <laughs> funny panel. Uh, Max, Max Lord, he's like, Ma- Oberon's like, Max, Max, uh, come on, man, something's happening. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah grab, glad you popped in, Oberon. I'm just going to go for a nap. So uh, whatever happens, you just take care of it. And he just goes for a nap. <laughs> so he sleeps through this adventure. Love it. And but the, the 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 kuns are still dangerous. I mean, they can wound. Yeah. Their weapons can can fry somebody or at least stun them. I, Booster Gold shows up alive later. So they attack Oberon. Uh, he retaliates with a bowling ball, which is great. Because <laughs> I mean, when I say there's a lot of humor in this, uh, it, the one kun goes, "What's that rumbling sound?" And there's this. In the background, and all of a sudden you go, and I wonder what that thudding sound is, and then you see the big bowling ball. So they really, I mean, it's great. It just made me, you can feel Oberon just winding up and sending down that bowling ball. Ah. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling, there are rules. But eventually he has to hide out in Blue Beetle's room. Yeah. Which is not as, I think it's a missed opportunity. The way Blue Beetle is like a, a geek bro kind of character in this, yeah. I wish there'd been a lot more stuff in the room. Yeah, it's pretty plain. It's pretty plain. I mean, he's got is that a Godzilla? Yeah, uh, toy. He's got a roller skate, a wily coyote stuffed animal. It's kind of <laughs> odd. He's got a. He has no direction. His geekdom has no he's direction. A, a very large poster of a girl in a um, in lingerie. Yeah. Yeah, and like, a picture of a car. I mean, it's not focused enough. I wish it had been, like, really embarrassing for him that Oberon got into his room. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> it's all right. I mean, maybe they didn't have time for it. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, don't know he could, could have been, like, a big kid. And, you know, it's embarrassing because his room is childish. And, is he's, and he's, like, a genius. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done, but... But he does... I mean, his BB gun does, oh, does win the, the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. I'm trying to. I'm trying to look at the, <laughs> everything just to see if I can see something funny in his room. But there's no. Yeah, you know. it's pretty normal. Yeah, it's normal. Well, there's I just mean, like Groucho Marx type glasses there. Yeah, you can see nose. he's got jokes 
stuff with jokes and but what is on that VHS tape? <laughs> I can imagine what's on the VHS tape. Yeah, and then finally, um, Booster wakes up. Max is still asleep. Booster <laughs> wakes up and they commiserate, or really, and, he gets teased. And I mean, Oberon puts all the the action figure sized coons in Roach Motels. I mean, that's funny, and they're stuck there. Because I guess when they reduce in size, they don't have the, this uh, the atom effect or the, the proportional effect. strength. No, they don't. I guess they're weaker. Because if they're just stuck in Roach Motels, I mean, well, they got beaten by uh, bowling ball, so yeah, yeah. So it's it's very very it's that first part was really nice and funny. I enjoyed that very much. But there is a mission we've got to tie into invasion yeah. a little more substantially. And so the second section starts on Fiji, uh, where the rest of the GLI, which at this point is the Martian Manhunter. Blue Beetle, Guy Gardner, Fire and Ice, Rocket Red, Mr. Miracle, and Hawkman and Hawkwoman, sort of. We'll talk about that. And they're joined by Wonder Woman, who has a mission for them. While she, Guy, and Red go rescue Etta Candy on a small island, and in her own book, we'll get to it eventually, the team will have to prevent the Kuns from sending reinforcements and provisions. Using Mr. Miracle's boom tube technology, they hijack a ship and put a bomb aboard, which promptly destroys the entire convoy. John isn't happy about the loss of life, but before he can anguish about it too much, the Justice League is called back to America for Invasion Number Two's big superhero summit. Those are the broad strokes. <laughs> Once again, we see how these guys interact with one, in one another, and uh, how Wonder Woman is put on this pedestal, this superhero pedestal. She's she's above and beyond what they do, I guess. So, uh, all the guys, well, not all the guys, actually just, uh, Beetle. Just, just Mostly Beetle. He's just oogling. He's just, just oogling. He, he can't stop looking at her. He's doing innuendos. He's all over the place. Oh, yeah. oh he's biting his finger. His I thumb, know. I biting know. his he, thumb. He here. can't control it. It's so much. He's in love. And, uh, but you, you, you also feel the jealousy coming from, you know, Fire and Ice and, how... and Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner's a real sad sack in this. I don't think he's sad. I think he's like half like pissed. bored. Yeah. He's kicking dirt later on. He's like, oh, let's, get, let's get, let's get this over with. It's like he's not the star. Yeah. He's annoyed by this. I, I'm thinking that's yeah. what I got from it. He's like annoyed, but, uh, yeah, they have a mission. They have to go get a lady. What's her name again? Etta uh, Candy. Etta. Uh, so they have to go get her. That's uh, Wonder Woman's mission. So they get onto it. But what's really great about this is the interaction. You know, the older superheroes like Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, they, they work great together. They worked uh, previously together. Well, not this Wonder Woman, actually, because no? in the post-crisis universe, Wonder Woman was never a member of the League. Really? She was like a brand new hero. She's as new as Wally West's... Is is wearing the suit? Oh, really? Oh, she's well. as new as um, it doesn't feel any like of that. that. She's as new as Booster Gold, basically. Wow, it doesn't. They would feel have like premiered it. the same time. Doesn't feel like that. Well, I think she's got that presence. We know her from way before. Okay, and she is a valorous, honorable hero, the way Martian Manhunter is, like yeah. a classic old school hero, even though she's kind of a new kid on the block. But um, but I think there's something about Wonder Woman's charisma that affects everyone. Yeah, she has I, like a plus two to charisma. Oh yeah, you either trust her implicitly, like like John does here, or uh, you lust after her <laughs> if you're Blue Beetle. But uh, everybody immediately responds to Wonder Woman. I think that's one of her main powers. Okay, uh, the the unspoken power of having Wonder Woman in your midst. You're gonna ha you're gonna be tongue tied. You're gonna be you know mm. you're gonna be impressed. So she yeah she I guess she intimidates. Or... See even like Rocket Red. 
uh, whose mastery of English is <laughs> uncertain. <laughs> it's really the, the the pot calling the kettle black here, but <laughs> uh, but he calls her wonderful wonderful woman. He doesn't really quite get her name, and it makes uh, Guy Gardner sick to his stomach. <laughs> so he's very much he's like the girls, jealous of Wonder Woman's uh, power. Yeah, I think I think so. Why are we following so. this rookie? You know, kind of probably thing. that's what he's thinking. Basque, uh, I mean, guy, he's that guy who always thought he was best at everything. Yeah, all the time. So he doesn't understand why people don't respond to him well. Yeah. You know, well, maybe a, maybe because he's a jerk. Yeah. Uh, he's but, a self-serving kind of character. Well, yeah. And uh, then we see a bit of uh, Blue Beetle interacting with uh, with Hawkman, which is kind of funny because Hawkman has always been, at least to my mind, uh, this right wing guy. You know, very military or you know, sure, very straight shooting. And uh, and I don't think he'd play well with Blue Beetle. Probably not. Probably Blue not. Beetle is like Green Arrow plus plus plus. Well, not only is he Green Arrow plus plus plus, but he's kind of goofy. He still has this. Uh, he has you know the powers, the responsibility, but he's kind of goofy, and uh, that's con- exactly the opposite of Hawkman. Is not goofy whatsoever. No, he's the but, but least re- goofy. See, Blue Beetle responds to an order from Hawkman here by saying, "Yes, my Führer." <laughs> It makes me laugh. John says, Beetle, that was a tasteless and disrespectful remark. Apologize. No! (laughs) So, but, but this is also, it's not so much the military or the, the Thanagarians are also part of the invasion. So maybe Beetle is like being mistrustful of Hawkman, who's, your people have come here to invade my planet. So, yeah. Why do you shut up? Yeah. Right now. But this is also very odd because, like I said, sort of Hawkman and Hawkwoman is because Hawkman and Hawkwoman were not rebooted after Crisis immediately. And they were allowed to join the Justice League International briefly. They haven't been on the team long. And then they rebooted Hawkman and Hawkwoman in the Hawkworld miniseries, like a year later. Which meant every story that we saw in post-Crisis with Hawkman and Hawkwoman... Never happened? Had to have happened, but how did it happen? So they made up this story where, this retcon, where this Hawkman and Hawkwoman are not, are not Katar Hall and uh, Shayira Sal. They are like different characters that came to Earth to spy on us before the invasion would happen, sort of thing. They were spying on us pre-invasion. Okay. So they're infiltrating the Justice League at this point, if we understand this story. So... So they're bad guys? They're, they're bad guys, but then coming to Earth, I think sympathy for, for Earth people, uh, grew in him, and then he, he sort of didn't want to betray us to okay. the Thanagarians, but I think she, the fake Hawkwoman, Hawk she had other ideas. Okay. I'd have to reread that. That's in, in uh, Hawkman Annual number two or something, where they explained this away. So this isn't like the Hawkman we know. It's supposed to be. I mean, at this point, they're writing him as if this is Guitar Hall. It's okay. always been the same Hawkman that used to be in the Justice League before. But the retcon makes it that it, there's like their new Hawk people, not the Golden Age Hawk people, but not the, the Hawk people that we will come to know or think we've known. Okay. Does that, does that make any sense? It, it, it makes sense. I'm using all the verb tenses that I know to explain this. <laughs> it makes sense because we're reading DC Comics. Uh, but it also makes a sort of sense in here. If, if we're going to say, okay, let's accept the retcon. It also makes sense because, okay, the invasion is on. We've got 
betrayers in the team. Okay. It doesn't come into play, but they're there. And they're not going up against Thanagarians, so they're not actively betraying their own people by working with the League. And there's this moment, um, if I can skip ahead quickly, but there's a moment at the end where uh, they're coming back from attacking the convoy. Yeah. And the non-flying characters need rides, right? So Blue Beetle is on uh, Martian Manhunter's back. Oh, the, the indignity. <laughs> um, Ice is in Mr. Miracle's arms. Fine. And then Hawkman is holding fire, fire or yeah. green flame. or I think it's fire at that, at that point. Yeah, I think she's changed to fire at this point. So he's holding fire, who is like the sex bot character of the group, in his arms. And this goes without any comment from Hawkwoman, his presumed wife. So in their cover story, they're a married couple, if they're these fake Hawk people. Okay. But so he goes, we want a battle, Mr. Miracle, but the war goes on, and then... Hawkwoman says, somehow I knew he was going to say that. Like, she's just poking fun at... It's more like, I find you irritating. So the retcon makes sense in this... Because this... I really think that if we're going to play this, the sitcom version of these characters, then Hawkman's wife should be commenting on the fact that he just had to have fire in his arms yeah. instead of Blue Beetle. Because, I mean, everybody knows she could have picked up fire. She could have picked up Ice, who's a very petite woman, and left fire to Mr. Miracle. She could have picked up anybody. She could have picked <laughs> up... I mean, she's... she's so she didn't Hawk pick up. up anyone, but Hawkman is picking up like, kind of the chick that would make Hawkwoman jealous yeah. if she were to be jealous. And it's just not commented on. And I think it's like it's like a missing joke. If this weren't a jokey comic, then I'd be fine with it. I'd just say, well, yeah. there, you've got a strong marriage. She's, she's not going to get... In the, over this. in the reprinting, I'm sure there's a joke in there. There's a little space there for a, uh, for a word bubble. Right, right there. We can always rewrite this book. We could. Just falls short of perfection. Oh, but it's so it's so good. And and it's very bantery, even everywhere. Everywhere. The even could, the villains. Even the villains. Everybody's bantering. And it's not taking anything away from the action or the eminent threat, which is going on. This is it's a very modern way to write dialogue I think because it's it's like something that's become commonplace in action movies and uh, superhero movies certainly superhero action it's the Joss Whedon sort of formula where yeah. everybody's a bit bantery and a bit metatextual and uh, but this this was pretty original at the time I don't remember many comics that went this route superhero banter normally was just you know the, the wisecracking Spider-Man stuff that was yeah. superhero banter. Here, there's a lot more back and forth between characters. The villains have these kinds of personalities. So everybody's doing a little comic bit. Yeah. I think uh, uh, since the art plays a big role in telling the story, I think it's possible to have a little bit more banter because you're not always talking about what's going on. So, you know, uh, since they can... You know, do like uh, facial expressions very well, and you don't have to say, "Oh, John 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 Jones is choking somebody." You can see it in his face, and you know, and he can say something else, and uh, that plays, I think, also a little right. bit in that in that. Yeah, there's book. a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of text. Oh, yeah. to these stories, but they're they're jokes, they're bits, and there's comparatively little exposition. Even though we've got to get into this invasion storyline, explain it to the new readers. Uh, what's happening? Who are these people? But none of that. There's is, a plan in place. None of that's missing. Nope. None of there. that is missing, and we still have that banter, and we still have that humor, and and it has a lot of heart. It feels like something I want to read. I I probably will start reading 
uh, Justice League International. Oh, you should. The old stuff. You should. What did you think of the plan to destroy the convoy? Um, it's, and, and it's, I mean, and its consequences. It felt a little bit uh, weak. Uh, you know, you're, they're going to blow up one ship that'll blow up everybody. I don't know how that works. Well, they put a bomb on it, so the yeah. yield must be pretty... Well, I, I guess, but I mean, I don't know how one bomb on one ship... Would, I mean, some kind of domino effect. It was a lot of... Dis- Presumably, dis- the bomb has a... You know, New God's technology in it. Well, it is. It, Mr. Miracle delivers it. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Maybe but. it's, yeah, maybe it's programmed to make stuff with a certain, I don't know, uh, technological handprint or thumbprint on it explode. I don't know. I don't know. But it was, it was kind of, uh, kind of, sh- I don't know. I, I don't have words for that. <laughs> There is this this bit about Star Trek in it, where I, I, <laughs> yes. originally I thought the way the characters were talking, uh, the the like the aliens, they were saying things that very Trek like, yeah, very techno babbly, techno yeah, Trek techno babble. And later on, Blue Beetle sort of mocks that, and he actually goes, um, <laughs> you know, the shields are down, and he says, no shields, the dilithium crystals are, are fused. Khan's about to detonate the Genesis device. We're not going to make it, are we? So he's probably doing. He, Scotty's accent. He's, do, he's doing that, and you know what? In my in my little uh, my little notes, I wrote down Star Trek reference, classic Trek at that extra points. But then, Mister Miracle just ruins the joke by just highlighting it's a Star Trek. Will you stop playing Star Trek? I mean, I mean, we know he's playing Star Trek. Just accept it. It's like they're saying, you know, you should know this is Star Trek, and you know, you know, if you know, you know. Well, I think it's amazing know. that uh, uh, Mister Miracle knows what Star Trek is. Actually, he's, yeah. he's not from Earth. Do they have that on on Apocalypse? Uh, well, who or knows? New, New Genesis? Where is he from? Uh, he well, he he grew up on on, on Apocalypse because he was. But yeah. yeah, he's High Father's son, so he's from New Genesis. Yeah, just to keep the peace there. Yeah, yeah. yeah Except yeah. he was raised on the other side uh, to keep the <laughs> peace. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, this was the era where Mister Miracle had his own series, or was about to get his own series, okay. or I'm not sure where exactly. Well, but he's, he spent time on Earth. Oh yeah, he's he'd been on Earth for a while, but his series at uh, around this time was also a sitcom type situation. It was him and Barda in the suburbs. Trying to have a normal life, <laughs> but these pesky, evil new gods keep crashing the barbecue. <laughs> that's what it was. Oh, so, that's so it's funny. very much based on the success of this. Okay, that he got a spinoff out of well, out of JLI with the same tone, it the makes, same comic. It makes tone. sense. And Barda in the suburbs—that can only be funny. Yeah, of course. I mean, how can she be a, a housewife of you know Los Angeles or whatever? Wherever she, this was, this I mean, it can't happen. She's she's a warrior god, you know. And and seeing her very angry at a bird <laughs> roast was hilarious. That's what the book was. So I enjoyed all of that. Uh, if if there was like a lot of stuff, like Star Trek stuff in his room, in Blue Beetle's room, when and uh, yeah, got, that would have tied oh, in. Better. That would have been great. Yeah. Next printing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, there should have been a little more. Like it was. Yeah. They could have done some alieny, oh yeah, kind of stuff just to tie in with the invasion, big time. And I mean, uh, next gen started in eighty-seven, uh, so it would be uh, pretty close. Yeah, no, it would be pretty close. Yeah, no, you should have a pool star Captain Picard on his wall. Yeah, instead of the the stripper or Captain Picard doing a striptease. I don't know. That would uh-huh. be funny. I, hey. Patrick Stewart is up for anything. That's true. Although I'm not <laughs> sure we knew that in 88. 
you know, these these, <laughs> these little bantery bits, because uh, I, I really liked uh, Fire and Ice or Green Flame and Ice Maiden or whatever. Because, you know, they're always trying to some somehow one-up each other. And, you know, Ice does this big ice thing that breaks down a, a ship. And, and she's like, ooh, ooh, I wiped him. I wiped him out. And that was, you know, I never did anything. So I, I'm not going to do this voice all the time. Is that your Norwegian accent? That's my, I was trying to do, I don't know. I saw a cartoon. She had like this French accent. I don't know. Oh, but um, and then Fire's like, yeah, for, you know, he did a great job for somebody who's, Powers are so ridiculous. Well, that's what people say. And she's like, who says my, my things are stupid? And it just, I just love that whole thing. They're always working together and they're always picking on each other. And it's, I don't know, it creates actually a real bond between these, between these characters. I think it's one of the attractions of Justice League was that it did seem like a bunch of friends, some of which you don't really care to have around. It's like any group sports, of friends, I guess. sports team, yeah. any like we're in improv. It's full of people bantering, and yeah. some are jerks, and <laughs> we love them anyway. And you love them, Mike. I can't stand. I'm one of the jerks. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> yeah, me too. But you know, yeah, you're always poking fun at each other all the time uh, until somebody cries. You know, it's fine until somebody <laughs> cries. And when well, they cry, we laugh at them for crying. Yeah. Well. Well. Yeah. A little bit. Not too much. <laughs> When they're not around. But yeah, the Justice League, this era of the Justice League, yeah. feels like your group of friends, your gang. Yeah. Uh, some are, are more on the periphery, some are central to the group, some, some people are best friends inside that group, some are rivals, some want more attention than others. This is exactly what this is. It is. And so when Fire, who is best friends with Ice, there's nothing but affection between these two, really. When she says it, she's just teasing. She is. It's just teasing. Oh yeah, that's, I mean, they say your your powers are stupid. They go what? <laughs> I mean, is this really the time? Things are serious. You're fighting an alien invasion. Is it really the time to tease your friends? But then again, it would but, be. It would be the perfect time to tease your friends. Yeah, you're just you know relieving people of pressure. Of yeah, that pressure, tension, and you know yeah. you have to do a job, and you know it's stressful. You have to joke around. So yeah, I really love this book. I mean, even though at the end there we have uh, Martian Manhunter having thoughts about war and. What they've done, and they because I mean, they kill a whole lot of aliens. They, they killed a, a boatload of well, more than a boatload. Yeah, all those boats loads. A lot of a lot of aliens are dead, and with all the joking and everything, uh, Martian Manhunter has this this quiet moment on the beach, and Wonder Woman comes around, and they, they have this little talk, and you know he talks about death, and you know Wonder Woman, she's a warrior, so she says, you know, death is part of what war is. And then Martian Manhunter says a beautiful thing. He says, but why must we always take such pleasure in it? And uh, they have this little second of just solemn thought. And then Blue Beetle comes around. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and just it's got to end on a smile. And that's how it ends. But still, we're still left with that thought. And, and I thought that was really skillfully done. Yeah, I like that. There's a bit of meta text in there because who he's not taking pleasure out of it. He says that like a we, but this is wasn't at all fun for him, top to bottom. He's not that kind of character. No. But we the readers enjoy yeah, superhero battles and whatever. So what's wrong with us? The, the these characters are satisfying our bloodlust in a sense. I'm not, I'm not sure that's in there necessarily maybe i'm, I'm putting i'm grant morrison <laughs> that grant was morrisoning up that's what i was gonna say you're are you grant morrising this thing up <laughs> a bit this is the comment on the human condition yeah uh, as the alien sees it 
in this case. Yeah, and and I mean, I thought it was a real profound, thought-provoking moment in a, in such a fun ride. So it, this, it goes to show it. There, like people remember this as a as a comedy, but there were real superhero moments where people, you know, have thoughts and you know, sadder moments. They happen, but in it, it's mostly a comedy. I love the the way it ends. Uh, the next the next issue blurb yeah. in the aftermath of the invasion, the JLI faces the all new Anti Justice League or something like that. They're still fighting over the name. <laughs> They'll end up being the Injustice League. But, you know, uh, that's the kind of stuff that made this book so much fun. But I really, really enjoyed this book. I'm going to read some more of JLA, or J, uh, Justice League International. Because well, we'll, I missed out on this. We'll take a break uh, to listen to an ad for another amazing podcast. And then we'll be back and we'll talk about Justice League a little more as a, as a concept. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International Blahaha Podcast Coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? So yeah, Justice League International, or it was Justice League first, then Justice League International, then became Justice League America, uh, and spun off into Justice League Europe as well. And there was a Justice League Quarterly. And Justice League Detroit. Uh, no, that was before. Okay. Justice League Detroit is a joke, was not meant as a joke. <laughs> you see? You see? So yeah, yeah, yeah. after Justice League Detroit was decimated in, in Legends, it, it was to make way for a new Justice League, and that Justice League is this. Okay. Well, Justice League International, from what I've read in this one issue, is great. I read the Justice League Detroit issues from okay. a friend. Of course, of course. You wouldn't buy that. Well, I, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't buying it. I just read the whole run from somebody else uh, at the time, at the time. And they had, they had like Aquaman and Flash in there and uh, who else? Was no, there? no Flash. No Flash? Uh, basically, what had happened is that the satellite got destroyed by an alien invasion. Funnily enough. Yeah. And the big guns, Green Lantern, Flash, Superman, were not present. They called on them, and they were off doing their own stuff, like uh, getting Lois Lane not to marry them, or whatever <laughs> they did. And I think Flash was in the middle of his trial. Okay. And, yeah, so everybody was busy because they had their own book. Aquaman, who did not have his own book, said, Hey, if you're not going to be on the team, then don't be on the team. And so he disbanded the Justice League as a charter member, as a charter founding member. Oh my god! He, he had constitutional power to just end the Justice League. Aqua, really? One of my favorite Aquaman moments. <laughs> Arthur Curry, yep. you some bitch. So he undoes the, the League. And then you've got people like 
uh, Firestorm going, no, you can't do this! Come on. <laughs> yeah, well. Watch me. Okay, you want to, uh, different people want to restart the league? Let's restart the league then. Let's do the league right. Okay, if you want to do the league right, everybody has to live in the base. Okay, so Aquaman was unhappy that everybody had a life. Right. And they Except had him. They had <laughs> things to do and, and, and Lois Lane's is to, to, to woo. To woo and, you know. So he got pissed off and said, I'm taking my ball and moving to Detroit. That's what, that's what ended up <laughs> happening because they'd lost their base. Okay. Right? They lost the base. Aquaman undoes the team at big press conference. And then different, the, some members, some junior members went, whoa, no, but you can't do that. Let's, you, let's do this right. We're all living the same base. We don't have other lives. We just, we're Justice League we full time. We superhero all time. Okay. Full time. And so he said, really? Who's ready to commit to this? This coming from the one guy who should be underwater protecting Atlantis. Eh, Atlantis hasn't always been a big part of the story. Yeah, okay. So at this point, it wasn't. So Aquaman was ready to, to make the sacrifice. Okay. Martian Manhunters never had a life. Ready to make this uh, Well, this he's sacrifice. a Martian. What is he going to do? Right. I mean, he doesn't really, at the time anyway, didn't have ties to anyone really. The, the, you know, physiognomy. They don't, they don't match. Elongated up. man. Get good to go. Sue Dibney was a member of the supporting staff. Okay. So Sue, Sue uh, his lived in, in, in the base. In the base. So the Dibneys. Okay. And then Zatanna. Oh, that's a good team. Right and then there. you had Firestorm going, I'm in. And then Professor Stein in the back going, uh, Ronald, you know very well, you need to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give my life up to this. I mean, you know. Yeah. So Firestorm gives up the team reluctantly. And then Green Arrow and uh, Black Canary go, um, well, screw yourselves, and they leave. That sounds the, like Green Arrow. And the big guns aren't even there. To the t- only guns that are there are Martian Manhunter and Aquaman. Aquaman. I think Zatanna. Can... And, and, and that's what I was going to say because Zatanna is one of my personal favorites. I yeah. love Zatanna her. is very powerful. So, so yeah. together they found a new team and they get an invitation to like they get gifted a compound in Detroit and that compound uh, happens to belong to the grandfather of Steel who becomes like a junior member and then they okay. collect junior members from around Detroit, plus Vixen, who's around at this point. So they've got, so it became like this, we've got younger heroes, which was the big rage at the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants their new mutants kind yeah. of deal, their Teen Titans kind of thing. Yeah. And so, but it just didn't work out. Those characters weren't very involving. Anyway, yeah. the series tanked. They, they, and Aquaman they left it before, before long. It was replaced <laughs> by Batman. And then Batman said, I'm leaving you losers to get the outsiders because they're cool. No, he was already, he already (laughs) dropped the outsiders. Batman is the kiss of death for teams. That's pretty much it. That's true. That's true. So anyway, that team, total sidetrack, but that team doesn't work out. DC gives the, the keys to Keith Giffen, Enfant Terrible, Keith Giffen, and he ropes in different people around him like JM Demetrius, and they make this originally not it was comedic, but not too comedic. And then that's what was popular. That was that's what was interesting. They played to their strengths, and it became funnier and funnier. Okay, over the years. But they, they decided to do. They had Batman on the team. They had Black Canary on the team originally, and they're as you saw in this issue, they're already gone. Yeah, still Martian Manhunter. But they picked up. You know, Booster Gold was losing his series. Uh, Blue Beetle was losing his series. So within a few issues, that group of Heroes you could do anything with because they don't have their own series at pretty much aggregated. And those the personalities is what made the book. 
that, that's that's what I was gonna say because they they stayed true to the personalities, right? They probably oh yeah up to a little bit, a little bit know. caricatured, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is this is a great and and Max Lord in all this, he's like the mastermind behind the JLI. He's, yeah, he's the one that started the team from the shadows. Okay. And made sure they had embassies and made brokered deals and then showed up and said, well, I got you a deal for uh, embassies. I got you a charter from uh, the, uh, the United Nations. All right. So, uh, okay. So Max Who wasn't, you? <laughs> so Max wasn't the, the asshole I knew from later on. No, there was a storyline where he started to exhibit maybe persuasion powers. Okay. Like he would persuade people to do things and have then have a nosebleed. Yeah, that's that's, that's asshole suspicious. Max that I, yeah. I got to know. That's suspicious, and then he became a villain later on, yeah. which I don't Con- agree with that storyline whatsoever. Controlled Superman. Yeah, but in Justice League, he was just yeah you know, probably he had a hidden agendas, but I think his heart was in the right place. A manipulator, but one that worked for good. I think originally I. Don't remember the storyline right now. Don't want to spoil it for you since you're gonna end up reading the series. But he had a he had a reason to to get a superhero team on his side. Okay. To help him with some trouble. Okay. But once that was done, you know, okay. Well, I'm intrigued. I want to read a lot more of this yeah. Justice League International. So eventually, he had different colors. That's what I find amazing about Justice League International is that the, the whole comedy thing is so against what the Justice League should be. Yeah, yeah, really. World's greatest heroes. You know, it's not supposed to be goofy. And which, this is goofy. This is goofy, and it's got lesser heroes in it, uh, acting dumb very often, you know. Yeah. So, with goofy villains, there are some very goofy villains in this series. Oh, I, I, I only saw this, but, you know. The next imagine. issue we'll see will has Injustice League. Okay. Goofy. You haven't seen... That's not That's not even C-list. I mean... Really? Oh, yeah. It's it's very... And they even had their own annual as Justice League Antarctica. So they, they got to be heroes for one issue, those those bad guys. Anyway, we'll get to that. But it's very um, atypical of something okay. called Justice League. But if it had been called... I don't know... You know if it had been like Hero Hotline, which was also a comedy series. Okay. If it had been Hero Hotline, it would not have spawned spinoffs... It's just the name is important. Yeah. But it's still amazing to me that while Justice League of America Detroit tanked with the Justice League name on it, this became the basis for tons of spin-offs. Mr. Miracle got a series out of this. Justice League Europe, Justice League Quarterly, uh, Justice League Task Force. And there were like different colors of the Justice League. So Europe was a little, it was more serious. But it still had those kind of personality dynamics. and They, some, had, they had Parliament and... <laughs> they were they were in London, yeah. They were in London, but you had comedy okay. issues, but it was a little more serious. Very dry comedy, and because it's <laughs> absurdist it's, comedy, it's, it's in London. Well, you had the whole like. There's one issue that's given up to Power Girl's ugly cat, <laughs> but it also had like very like high stakes, and okay. it was less of a comedy, but sometimes had comedy issues. So there's there's that, but the Just League Task Force used Martian Manhunter. And a Suicide Squad kind of rotating cast. That's kind of like they, they used to do like undercover stuff and uh, yeah, Black Ops. Yeah, uh, and you you could pull in different people that were never in the Justice League, like Nightwing or whatever. And that was very serious, but still came out of this Justice League okay. International and the, the, that brand. And Justice League Quarterly had pretty goofy stories, but different ones. And you but okay, well, uh, Justice League International was it a bigger. At that time, was it a uh, uh, w- was there a Justice League of America? 
No, this was it. This was it. This was it. And it became Justice League America. Eventually, it just rebranded the book but continued the numbering. And when it became Justice League, eventually Justice League America became a more serious book. When Keith Giffen left all of that, it became a more traditional superhero book. Okay. And then pretty soon kind of died off. Huh. Like, while it was a comedy, while it was these characters, it worked really well. And then when it became more serious... It became less interesting, and I think they put, they maybe put a creative, creative teams that weren't so good on it because they knew it was just, they were biding their time for the next reboot kind of thing. Okay. And then Grant Morrison, when he took over with JLA, went the opposite way. Okay, well, we've had five years of these comedy heroes, these lesser lights, running around as a team called Justice League, but was it really the spirit of the Justice League, the Silver Age Justice League? And so he re- rebooted it. I mean, he restarted it yeah, with the all big the big seven. guns. Yeah. So, and then that was amazing as well. It was, it was. and it, 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 But it wasn't, well, yeah, actually it was all serious. But well, it, was, it was all serious in that Grant Morrison type way. Yeah. Grant Morrison I, is funny... He's funny, but he's he's funny in a more of um, Dadaist kind of well, it's surrealist kind of, kind of way. The first story, like it's absurd to an extreme. That's funny to me because I mean the first story, first Grant Morrison story I've read that was JLA was a Martian invasion. I mean the Martians are coming. That to me is just funny. I know they're white Martians, and now we're we're all like, ooh, white Martians are dangerous. But you know what? <laughs> Mars Attacks, the movie, just came out during that time. And, I mean, in my head, Martians were little green men with going, and and with futuristic retro or retro-futuristic ray guns. And it was, to me, a Martian invasion was just silly. He made it fun, and that's where I started reading a lot more Justice League. In that book, Grant Morrison was very good at tapping into what the like the Silver Age silliness, yeah, and then making it darker and more modern. But it was still that same. It's still silly. Superheroes being transformed into things. Superheroes living through bizarre alternate universes of themselves. The android member that's supposed to be a plant, but then becomes a real hero and then must die because. Like the Red Tornado story, basically. Yeah, very Silver Age. Silver Age tropes, yeah. But then played like in a modern way, in an even postmodern way, which is funny in itself because they're silly tropes, just very much refreshed. So the Justice League has had a lot of good eras. I find it very hard to name a favorite. Usually, I'll say the Graham Morrison JLA was my favorite. It was certainly involving and interesting, but at the same time. The only reason I don't name Justice League International as that favorite is because it is so... It's like all other Justice Leagues are more iconic. It's just not iconic. It's not iconic. As a Justice League. But as a team book, I wish its flavor was in more comics. Because you had... had, I mean, we we have enough gritty teams. I mean, The Outsiders is a a great example of gritty teams. Uh, And the only... I don't think it's a great example of anything. <laughs> well, they're all... Uh, maybe it's more like grit between the teeth. I don't know. But please, please listeners, don't, don't, don't come to the outsider's defense in the comments. I probably, I'll probably <laughs> skip over those comments. I probably won't read them. Uh, I don't, I don't really care for the outsiders. And I'm talking to you, Rob Kelly. <laughs> well, uh, and, and, and they were very Batman based and, 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 you know, that's, that's all fine. Oh, they so sucked. Oh, well, yeah. We're not going to get into that. 
I don't think there's an Outsiders but, crossover <laughs> into Invasion. No, but I mean, the, the only, we need, <laughs> I hope there isn't. I think we needed some fun teams. At this point, uh, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, the new Teen Titans changed also, right? And it wasn't as fun. They kind of grew up and, and yeah, I think and, the, 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 the better days of that book were behind them. Yeah. And, and the new Teen Titans before Crisis was a, a well, I thought I loved it. I, I think it was a wonderful book. It had humor. It had heart, everything. But after Crisis, I don't know. I don't even remember something as fun. And probably well, this Jericho was up. on the team. So, oh yeah, that was horrible. He became horrible er later on. Yeah, and then he would get you know got beaten by Danny Chase. I mean, it was one bad member oh. after another after after Crisis. I mean, mm. but I mean, maybe we just needed some team book where the superheroes weren't always superheroing; they were actually being a team. And this is what Justice League International, at least in this uh, issue, and I think and it's for true. like fifty or sixty issues, I think they they do feel like a team. Yeah. No, they, they feel like a team, and I'm just perpetually amazed, even all these years later, that not only that it became a hit, because this is the kind of comics I like, yeah. but it's not mainstream. It's not the mainstream superhero stuff. It's not dark enough. It's not action-oriented enough. <laughs> I don't know. It, that it became a hit and then spawned all those other series I mean, is amazing to me. It is. And it's also amazing to me that they let Keith Giffen do this to the Justice League brand. <laughs> That's amazing to me as well. It's a spectacular book. It is. Be- because all these things, <laughs> and a lot of these characters are named characters now because of this book. I don't think people care. I mean, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold had just lost their books. Lost their books within months of starting yeah. off in the Justice League. And now, and every- you'd think that would be a reason to keep those books going. But, but yeah. no, there was no faith in those characters. And they became, you know, they should have merged those books and made a blue and Oh, blue and Gold book. Every Everybody wants a Blue and Gold movie. I mean... Yeah, but Blue and Gold wasn't a thing until yeah. eventually in Justice League. So we have um, a lot of these characters owe their continued success and, and fan love to this series and what it inspired later. Well, I want to read some more. So uh, We I'll, will read the next issue eventually. And I will read stuff coming up to this. Just because. I'm going to break the bank. All right, or I'll uh, lend you my bag of comics. Uh, you don't, do you do that? I thought you didn't do that anymore. Well, now that you have a reason to come back to my house, <laughs> there's a that's better true. chance of getting them back you know, before a year is yeah, out. Yeah, that's Which true. was the problem before. Or maybe I should just read them here. Yeah, but eh, who wants somebody to crash at your... I, I, I lived that, through that when I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. I had somebody that came to my house, opened the door... Without anyone in the house, and was reading comics when my mom got home from work, and okay. I wasn't there. That was not a good thing. <laughs> no. Then, then uh, I'm trying to find options here. I could, I could. Uh, Anything become, not to take the comics home is. is I could, yeah, I could, I could become a roommate. Uh, I'd have to sell my house. No, that's no good. I can't date your roommate. Not because I don't she, recommend it. I wouldn't either. Not because she's not nice. She's just she'd probably kill me. Uh, and so. Yeah, alright, so I'll I'll borrow them. Damn it. Defeated. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's Doc who? Uh, huh? Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs> 
The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Letters from the front! <laughs> it's my favorite letters from the front voice. So we got comments, uh, and uh, we got so many comments that... I won't read them all. We have a lot of comments and uh, new iTunes comments. We didn't know we had iTunes comments. No, that's right, because uh, the problem with iTunes is uh, that it's uh, kind of stupid. <laughs> and so you've got to change your, your accounts. Region, yeah. yeah, your region. Not, well, region, country. So even yeah. the smallest of countries has its own little region. So if you're getting, I mean, it must be terrible for Europeans. Oh, my. Yeah. We have listeners all over. But for us, most of the comments are from the U.S., but since we're Canadian, I wasn't seeing any comments. It was like I wasn't getting any comments, but we did cut comments from the U.S. and from um, Australia. Wow. Was the, the most, you know, basically touched by the invasion. Exactly. At least in its opening uh, salvo. So, so there are some comments from iTunes, which are generic about the whole about show. About the show, yeah. And uh, we do have, still have a lot of, we've got, we got a backlog of um, comments on episode 5, which was the Firestorm number 80. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because we recorded... So if you listen to the, the the last episode and you said, well, I left a comment and they didn't even mention me. Well, it's because we kind of recorded very close yeah. to the uh, the broadcast date. So uh, we missed a lot of these comments. We're going to get to them. And there's, there's a lot of them. And we got comments for episode six, the uh, the Flash in Cuba right? Okay, cool. episode. But let's, let's go to iTunes first. And what's fun with iTunes is that they've all got titles. And I like to read the titles. Yeah. First, and then we'll get into the comics. Or like proper. I like to call them tittles. Uh, it's titillating. 1980s DC Comics goodness. Uh, podcast on my favorite crossover. Earth to Invaders. Subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> A fun look back. They came to take our superheroes. Great in-depth coverage. Explode like a gene bomb. <laughs> Beware, they are among us. And uh, full-scale invasion of fun. Oh, cool. Going into the comments uh, proper, the irredeemable shag from the Hero Points occasional podcast says, I love DC Comics from the late 1980s, and this podcast captures that spirit, adventure, and charm. We have Iran Ragnar, who says, uh, Invasion holds a special place in my heart, hmm. as it was the first crossover I ever read, and some of the first comics I ever read. Listening to two Canadians talk is awesome. Love the accents. Hmm. And now <laughs> I need to find all the tie-ins, which I own. They are just in boxes, so I can follow along. Count Druncula, that's uh, Ryan Daly from uh, Give Me the Star Wars, says, uh, The material is a blast to revisit. NameTab29 says, This crossover was vast enough that there's a lot to cover here. I'm eager to see how the show approaches it in future episodes. Ooh. Earth 2 Chris from The Supermates said, Cisco and Bass examine DC Comics 1988-89 invasion coverage in such depth, you'd swear it was found audio from the lost 80s news radio show covering the real invasion of Earth. Oh, that would be cool. We, we should, sh do it we like should that. have done it like that. Yeah. Kind of, I'm not sure how it would have worked. <laughs> uh, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes says, after the greatness that was Legends, it's hard to see how DC could have topped themselves. Amazingly, they did. And now we get to listen to some really great coverage of the event. FKA Jason SNG Pod says, do you remember when the aliens invaded Earth in the late 1980s? No? Well, these guys do. <laughs> Eltrick 3 said First Strike is an awesome review index podcast of the 80s crossover event Invasion whether you read it when it came out or just coming to it now it's worth the time uh, and Paul Hicks from uh, Waiting for Doom 
back in Australia, says particularly compelling for Aussie audiences as Australia was the first country to fall, with Melbourne becoming the attacker's beachhead. Exactly. Remember Melbourne. Still have that t-shirt. Remember Melbourne. They should have made t-shirts. They should have. Damn it. All right. So, on episode five, that's our Firestorm, Firestorm. Power Girl, yeah, yeah, Firehawk, yeah. Starman. There's a lot of people in there. Yeah, and not a lot of things that happened. But uh, yeah. Jeff R. says, I'm pretty sure uh, that you're uh, mentioning anything that happened during JSA Jelly Crossover was extremely off-limits post-crisis. I mean, sure, it's possible to reskin the concept of the JSA Jelly Crossover as a time travel story rather than Parallel Worlds one, but very few of the actual particular stories work that way since most of them involve the 70s legacy JSA characters like, say, Power Girl. So the Firestorm PG romance uh, takes place entirely in stories that probably can't have happened in any way, shape, or form, and ignoring them seems like the prudent authorial choice. So a lot of the people uh, in the comments said, you know, that they, those two characters had a history, and so it made sense to yeah. have them co-star in this. Yeah, and, and they had kind of this weird, flirty, not flirty thing going on. It was mm. it was kind of weird. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Uh, it was creepy in, in the uh, yeah in the crossover. Uh, Sphinx Magoo says, in looking to chat about Tom Grinberg, the artist, I found this neat interview. So I invite you to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com where you'll find the link to that interview. And a lot of people sent us a little bits like this where we can do more research, but instead of us doing more research, we invite you to do more research <laughs> by yourselves. I'll be listening to it though. Yeah. Uh, or, or reading it, I think it's uh, yeah. text. Mark Baker Wright says, as a longtime Firestorm fan, allow me to compliment you guys. Uh, for admittedly not knowing much about that character prior to reading this issue, you got all the major beats right. It's a shame that this was the issue you had to feature, although given that this is an invasion podcast, it couldn't very well be otherwise. Exactly. Um, Jeff Nettleton said, point of order, this is not the original Power Girl costume, as some people in the comments uh, said. She had the boob window in her debut. After Wally Wood had some fun with her breast size, DC made the artist pull back, and she was in a white bodysuit with no window. Eventually, Joe Staten nudged it into the scooped neck look you see here. He also says, I like Grindberg on a few things, like Batman, Bride of the Demon, but he accepts that this wasn't his best work. Yeah. Diablo Frank? We're getting uh, franked! <laughs> from her old spine, said, hair length, because Power Girl kept having, you know... Yeah, yeah, the hair wasn't always... So he says hair length is like the Mason-Dixon line between Power Girl and Supergirl. I can tolerate a voluptuous maid of might or a petite Karen Starr, but as soon as blonde hair touches shoulder, we'd better be looking at Kara Zor-El. Iconography and the lack of consistent detail in comic book lady features demands it. Then again, maybe the point was to have Power Girl replace the deceased and dismissed Supergirl? Tom Grinberg was an artist I was pleased to see in the credits of 80s DC books that might otherwise have hosted someone like Kurt Swan or Alex Saviuk or Steve Irwin. Distorted, extra-stilted Neil Adams aping was still desirable by comparison. Though I wouldn't call myself a legit fan later, Grinberg borrowed heavily from Mike Mignola, which was an interesting, if inorganic, amalgamation of two comic artist styles. That was the franking. I, and it makes sense also, you know, because, uh, you know, short hair, it's more mature look, older look. Right. And, and, and Supergirl's always, you know, like this late teen. So, yeah, I'm down with that. And, and, and it was confusing in the that comic book. It was kind of weird. It was it was going all over the place. The hair wasn't nice. One last comment from uh, about Firestorm was on Twitter. Okay. Ange sent us pics of Firehawk creating her new costume. We talked about that. And new it, was, costume. it was in Crisis, was it? Number eight. Aha. Uh, after Red Tornado destroys her old one. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And also, so he, he put a little, actually a picture of it happening. Yeah. Because I remember um, her going up, you know, with the new costume. Right. And Keith G. Baker responded saying the only time she ever displayed atomic restructuring powers. But she didn't have that power. She couldn't create her own costume. That's She threw fire around. So that annoyed uh, Keith. And I must say it's like this weird, like maybe Firestorm did it. But we yeah. don't really know. We don't. It's it's badly played. Okay. Or maybe they just didn't know. Uh, Wolfman and Perez didn't really know how her powers worked. Yeah, I don't know. That that's often a problem. Yeah, and and, and yeah, and, when you're doing a whole big crossover with a lot of people. Yeah, and some of them are maybe lesser lights. Yeah, not as well known. Um, and Marvel Wolfman was editing himself. It could be. Uh, yeah, and Ange also left a picture from uh, Crisis. Uh, showing Wally taking on the mantle of the Flash, and you could see uh, how it weighed heavy on him wearing that costume. Yeah. So that segues us into the Flash episode quite neatly. Thank you, Ange. The Flash episode uh, with Wally in Cuba. We got a comment there from Chris Franklin from the Supermates, uh, who said, great show, guys. He says, I really need to go back and read Messner Loeb's Flash again. I bought every issue. It was often out of loyalty to the character, as, like you guys mentioned, I was not in the mood for the long game in finally getting Wally up to heroic speed, pun intended. Now that I'm not a teenager, I could probably glean more from what Messner Lobes was doing. It does seem ironic that character growth took so long for the fastest man alive. Well, you know what? It's uh, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, because the TV series kind of mirrors this part. Mm-hmm. And uh, just recently, I don't know if you guys are up to speed, I'm but not. there's a there's kind of a change now going on, and we're, we're I think we're getting out of the whiny Wally phase that was that was going on with the TV show. I don't so, think it's very he's not, he's not really whiny. No, but no, I mean no, the this, this is a lot growing of up to be a still growing up. Yeah, and right. and you know maybe growing pains. I don't know what it is, but you know it like my dad called him whiny berry but my dad's kind of a well he's, you know, it's the berry the spider-man berry yeah where he's he's having trouble with girls but, and, but you know, the tv yeah. show is it's really influenced a lot by that period in flash's history so you know it's kind of interesting going back now especially if you read if you watch the show going back and reading stuff you go eh, yeah. yeah there's a lot of stuff yeah the there. baron run and the messner Loeb's run is actually it talks a lot about yeah, there's just a lot of elements pulled from that. Uh, and other people agree, you'll see. Uh, Michel Fief, who uh, is the writer-artist on Copra, says it was Wally's mom who refused a JLI membership in his stead. Oh, but which, they, they're still pissed off at Wally. Yeah, that, was, that happened in JLI number 19, which would have helped their economic slump after he lost uh, his lottery won fortune. Uh, he also says William Mesner Loeb's stint on The Flash is my favorite and remains, it seems, underrated. Mark Wade wrote a highly regarded era for Wally, rightly praised, but it reads a little self-aware in retrospect, a little impressed with itself. I prefer Mr. Loeb's humble balance of genuine interest in character more than in fisticuffs, meaning he wasn't trying to make great comics, he simply wrote great comics. Oh. It's a fine distinction. I'll agree. I'll, to me, Mark Wade is the best superhero uh, writer of... Of, Rec- of, recent of, years? Well, of the modern era. From the late 80s on, I think he's left a, his stamp on so many characters yeah. and done so many great runs. I do agree. Almost nothing uh, is done badly. And he, he keeps impressing. Uh, this Daredevil run, kind of lately. Yeah. And uh, now he's working on Archie. And, you know, he's yeah. working on everything. And, and even think, he had a, like a little independent uh, stint there. Right. For a while. And was he's doing also. some interesting stuff with digital comics. And, yeah. Anyway. So... I rate him very, very highly. Yeah. 
the work he did on Flash, I think I've read him talk about this where he was a new writer. He yeah. was an editor that became a writer and he was a new writer. And Wally's journey was his own. It yeah. was about him taking on these the, the powers of the writer. Yeah, there was a real life echo there. Right. Yeah. So perhaps it is a bit too biographical where Wally's perhaps too much of a, a Mary Sue character, if you will. Maybe, yeah. Or admittedly so. It's still very... I mean, it's so entertaining, and I think that's yeah. what I responded to at the time. The Messner Lowe part was was great. It was great. It's just you know a lot of people just maybe related more to the Mark Wade. I, I, I but think that's I like you can like everything. Yeah, I like a lot of these kinds of comics where yeah. it's there, there's a soap opera going on. Yeah, and if you read it from the beginning, then it all makes sense. It, it yeah. builds up to something. Uh, with this run, I just. You know, he didn't start the Flash book. It was Mike Barron started the Flash book. I didn't really, I didn't care about the Flash at the time. Okay, as a character, as a character concept, I that do much. Not understand that, but yeah, sure. Well, I'll because it. the first, my first Flash was Barry Allen. It was the Barry Allen. Yeah, Barry's was, kind of boring in, in the old comics, right? And that was my first, you know, look at yeah. the Flash. So when Wally came on, I tried it, but eh, I just I wasn't connected to the character. Because also because he was kind of the whiny Wally in the Teen yeah. Titans, where I knew him from as Kid Flash. Yeah, I, I didn't care always, for him in Kid Flash. He was always as losing. Flash. Yeah, he was always. Yeah, he know. had cancer, and oh, then he was, he, he was losing his speed, and it was like he was like this loser character. Well, you know, he got his he got his powers just so randomly and so young, and he was always a superhero. So they had to try and make him relatable, and right. and I get that. Oh yeah, I just didn't tap into it, and then Mr. Loeb's took over, and I didn't, I didn't notice because I wasn't reading it. I wasn't yeah. reading the Mike Barron run, and so I always came into it at different points, and in, I'm in the middle of a soap opera. And I can't, I can't follow these of our lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you can't start now. That's yeah. it. exactly, exactly. So that's that's what happened. But, but you know what? But I, I respect people who like the run from the beginning, and I mean that's how you really get into so, yeah. the soap opera kind of comics. You've got to be there almost from the beginning. Yeah. And I understand it's kind of hypocritical from on my part because I'm a like a Legion of Superheroes fan. Which is this grand soap opera. It is a huge... That it's very difficult to get into. But going back and reading back these old comic books, I think it's a great idea. Because it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. And Michel Fief also sent us a few bits that we can read on the internet. Terrific first-person accounts of William Messner Loeb's run. Uh, so he on Comics Bulletin, and he left a couple of links that we can yeah. follow if you want to le- learn more. Actually, I will. Yeah. He also praised the depiction of Cuba, at least as a... Like, we, we kind of made fun of... The jungle, or yeah. that the topography was kind of off. But uh, he does say, well, it, it was interesting that at that time, the 1980s, and sort of a to show Cuba and Fidel Castro in a positive light for an American you know what? writer. That's very true. That is very true. Uh, Jeff Nettleton says, your list of speedsters has a bit of an overlap. So he corrects us because we said uh, we, we were just rhyming off super speedsters from the era. The Red Trinity became the capitalist couriers. Oh, so okay, they're the yeah. same guys. Um, he also says he kind of bailed out early on Mike Barron's run, which was my experience. I was reading Manhunter, so I also grabbed this one, this Flash book, since it crossed over. It's serviceable, but I didn't continue reading the series. However, I thought William Messner Lobes was doing a great job as, at trying to rehabilitate Wally after Barron and, and Marv Wolfman before him in Titans, because they turned him into such a jerk. Lobes got him to heroic before Mark Wade came in to do his thing. 
So one is a stepping stone to the other. Yeah, well, you know what? They all did a great job. Sometimes they're not collected as much. Yeah. So you don't pick up a trade, and yeah. then that this era is forgotten. Yeah. Uh, Fern from the Lonely Hearts Romance Comics podcast. You might know him. We might. Uh, he says, hey, guys, let's read some Red Tornado for Lonely Hearts. <laughs> that name keeps coming up. Red Tornado. <laughs> I will reiterate. I will not read... Red Tornado Comics for this podcast or any podcast anytime well, soon. Did he have his own comic? He had was... a four issue miniseries in the eighties, which was terrible. And then he had a, I don't know six or eight issue miniseries uh, lately, okay, which is certainly terrible because it's got Red Tornado in it. <laughs> Case close. Case close. And he is not like the Vision. He is not. Well, I don't like the Vision much either. Well, he's not. Still not like the Vision. And from the comic uh, comics box commentary says. Uh, I have a great fondness for the early part of this title, The Flash, particularly the Baron Guise issues. This was a Wally that didn't really want to be a superhero but felt obligated to. Mm-hmm. He had to take up the mantle of the name because of Barry's sacrifices. Look back at Crisis number 12 where he puts on the red costume again. He isn't iconically looking out at the horizon striking a classic pose. He looks almost defeated, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he tries to be a Flash Barry would be proud of. And knowing that was a tall order. You know what? I do remember that because I read I read Crisis like fifteen times, and I do remember that panel, and that's absolutely right. And even when he he grabs the costume, he looks like somebody who doesn't want to put it on, and does it because he has to. It's really a hero's journey. This whole thing. Uh, Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine says uh, he quotes us. Uh, you said uh, it, this is when Chunk was popular. I don't know. I'm thinking. <laughs> I think he was never popular. Uh, <laughs> Rob Kelly just goes, uh, I was question pro- marks? I was probably had a couple question marks at the end of my sentence. You just didn't <laughs> see him. Uh, he also says, I'm sure I've said this before, but it's a testament to this show's entertainment value that I keep listening even though I could not give a Legion of Superheroes member about the crossover series it covers. <laughs> <laughs> So a Legion, a Legion of Superheroes member for Rob is like a flying fuck. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you want to catch up on Red Tornado, we don't. We I don't. don't. I really don't. We won't. Without actually having to read the comics. Oh, oh okay. Oh, interested. Okay. Check out the Red Tornado article in back issue number 72 written by one of that publication's best writers. He's talking about himself, but again, <laughs> Rob, that article is about the Red Tornado. Yeah. In other words... I don't need to read it. <laughs> yeah, I think I read it. Or I read parts of it. Uh, Paul Hicks from uh, Waiting for Doom podcast. Uh, he's our Australian correspondent. Okay. Out there on the front. He's there. He's actually on the front. What's going on, Paul? Paul says, uh, while I liked the early years of this Flash series well enough as they were coming out, over the years I found it harder and harder to enjoy the whiny Wally as you guys call him. Moments of true heroism were few and far between. Most of his interactions uh, with his foes, families and friends were kind of tedious under Mike Barron and only slightly better under GMDM. Wade uh, came on this book and saved it with great characterization and a much needed injection of likability for the protagonist. Yeah. There are many more discussions on the issue from and on the Flash character on the Fire and Water podcast dot com page so please go there check out the rest yeah uh i i know i had an interaction where we were talking about like th- there's this one issue of the messner lobes era where it's like a one-off where wally 
is uh, on a date or whatever, and then a, a plane starts falling out of the sky, and we just, it, like, time freezes. We see his perception, and the whole issue takes place, like, within a second or within a moment. Okay. Where everything is slowed down, and he has to, using his really land-based powers, he has to save that plane somehow. Is it obvious? Well, that's a job for Superman. Uh, so uh, that was a great issue. I remember picking up yeah. that issue. And was he that like, fast though? At that point, it's not. Well, you know, they they, they play fast yeah. and loose. Later, they would say like the Speed Force kind of. Yeah, there was like a Speed Force hiccup or something. But um, yeah, he was getting faster by the end. Okay. Yeah. Once again, that was the time where they didn't really know. I think, or they didn't really uh, want to say how fast Flash was. So they, you know, it's I don't know, Mark three, Mark four, I don't know, and eventually be like light speed or yeah, unlimited. Uh, oh, and that's right, we uh, we might have gotten franked. Diablo Frank left a comment. Oh, franked again from the Bloodlines podcast, etc. Yeah, and it's about uh, it's about uh, sleeping with a Durlin. Sleeping with the Durlin. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, uh, Wally slept with a Durlin. Yeah, because they, they tried to assassinate Wally uh, in the night, and he's saved by Manhunter. But here's the. Um, Listener discussions advice. Diablo Frank says, I'm just going to go ahead and say what we were all secretly thinking. I must say I wasn't. Uh, vagina dentata. I don't know what that means. That means teeth in the vagina. Really? Yes. There's a very good horror film called um, Teeth, which is about a girl who has a vagina dentata that has a mind of its own. Okay, but it's... It's it, amazing. It's amazing. Is she, You've got to see this. I will. It's on Netflix, I think. I probably will... Uh, no, it's really good. I, I it's, sure it's it about something. Anyway, Marty, uh, Marty from the Lonely Hearts Robot <laughs> Comics podcast it, it, uh, do, turned me on to this. Is it is it uh, is it like a, a Durling thing? Do we know if Durlings do have this? Well, they could. They can shapeshift, right? Because it it could be also. So he's saying he could. <laughs> why didn't the Durling save the bullet and shapeshift herself and emasculated Flash? <laughs> oh while, man! While you're sleeping with the that would the shapeshifter that would confuse the hell. The out shapeshifter of could actually just. I don't know, knife you somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Really. Or become like a big porcupine and just leave you, you right, know, full of holes. Or smother you in like yeah, a cookie in, dough. In jello. Th- oh, yeah. Anything could have happened. But no, the Durlin actually has sex with Flash and then uses a gun. You know what? Maybe mm. the Durlin went, you know, I'll, I'll kill the Flash. My, you know, somebody said, you know, you're a Durlin, you can kill him in 20,000 ways. You know, you know what? I got my techniques. <laughs> my techniques. I got this. And My maybe technique she is was, achieving coitus, and then you know what? Maybe mm-hmm. she was like, you know what? This is the Flash. How often will this happen? Because Frank makes a good point. He says after that, well, in his version, she eats his dick, right? Yeah. After that, I don't think he could have run fast enough to keep her from finishing him <laughs> off in a less enjoyable way than what she did in the story. Also, are we sure it was a female Durlin? I'd like to give a segment of the Flash readership a heart attack. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, thinking that you know what shapeshifters probably don't have sexes, kind of like uh, I'd say, like uh, uh, some some mollusks are both sexes. Well, I think Legion of Superhero stories give us enough of an inkling that they at least have, at least some of them, identify with a gender. Okay, because the Colossal Boy married Yira, the col- who became Chameleon Girl. Okay, and she she, she, identifies, she identifies as, as a female. female, just as Chameleon Boy seems to identify as male. Because, uh, or maybe they're just integrating into humanoid culture. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they would. It. They might choose. They might see. Well, my traits are more masculine, or yeah. or I'm attracted to humanoids 
of yeah. a certain gender. I don't know. Because we have species on her on Earth here, like uh, snails. Snails have both sexes. And, you know, they kind They're of... They're hermaphrodites. So, I always thought that shapeshifters, since they can shape their shift, shift their shape, <laughs> yeah, shape, shape. Uh, they can identify with a gender, but they probably have both sexes. Because why would they have to choose... Well, they can... Tr- they can they can create the sex. But in this case, Biologically, the, the uh, assassin may have identified with either gender or no gender or both genders. Because she's, we say she, but the assassin is just there to infiltrate. Yeah. So could be anything, could be any gender. Decides to, to seduce the Flash. To, yeah. To, to seduce the Flash, you need to be female. Yeah. In, yeah. This, in this thing. Absolutely. So I think the Apple Frank has a great point. Where even though... A great point, but at the same time, it all seems like discussion, like, you know, in Mallrats, when... Uh, <laughs> it is. They're, they're just... Jason Lee and that are just going... Uh, they're asking Stan Lee if the thing has a rocky dick or... has a thing, yeah. Yeah, so... Mm. And he doesn't. We I've seen the movie lately. and uh, But you know what? Uh, even though he the Flash would be more aerodynamic, uh, he probably couldn't run <laughs> without his woo-woo. Just recently right. disconnected. So thanks, Frank. Yeah, you made this conversation happen, <sighs> and I think it was a boy, darling. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess progress. He's searching Lobes, for himself. Sure, Mesner Lobes kind of opened the door for that one by him having sex with an alien. Yeah, he was like, and with the... it's gratuitous. It is gratuitous. Frank is right because why is the Durlin using a gun? But that comes back to what I think that the Durlins are, where Chameleon Boy is the hero Durlin. And he can do a lot of things. And his powers are much more practiced. Yeah. And he's more powerful. He's the superhero version of a Durlin. All other Durlins might just have uh, certain tricks. the yeah. certain forms they can take. Yeah. The, you know, I'm an infiltrator. I can look really closely like a real person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm not very good at becoming a monster or whatever. That's probably a great way to... You know, because he turns into a snake and runs away. Yeah, because you can but create so, classes. You know, you create you create like warrior Durlins who can take like warrior shapes. Yeah, and, like the know, giant crabs we see. In yeah, the story. and you know, uh, infiltrators where you know they're snakes and they're they're just not good at everything. Yeah. So once you take a shape, maybe it's hard to. Yeah. And then you're outed. Maybe the assassin wanted to kill Flash in a normal way. Yeah. With a bullet, and then go, oh crap! Well, you know, he was killed by a bullet. By a, one of those snipers or whatever. Yeah. And she could have stayed in... Maybe the, she... Yeah. Not, she could have killed somebody else. Yeah. So she on. wouldn't have blown her cover. Yeah. That's it. She didn't want to blow her cover. She didn't want to blow her cover. Well, there we go. Uh, and uh, let's end on some Facebook likes and shares. Sure. As we like to do, because thank you very much for liking and sharing. Yeah. Keep listening. It's fun. Uh, Silver and Gold Podcast, Chag Matthews, Robert Ward, Tim Wallace, Jay Jones, Keiji Baker, Chris Franklin, Gene Hendricks, Al Sedano, Greg Arujo, and Nicholas Prom. Oh, list goes oh, on. Yeah. Clinton Robinson, Abel Padilla, Coffee and Comics Blog, James Murray, Martin Gray, Butch Rosenbaum, Ruth Sutherland, Sean Brock, Michelle Fief, Sean Emmons, Bradley Austin Null, Paul Scavito, Daniel Budnick, and Corey Hodgden, and then on, uh, the, that was Facebook, Twitter, retweets, and favorites are from Rolled Spine Podcast, Chris Sheehan, Comic Reflections, Keith G. Baker, Sin, DC in the 80s, Martin Gray, Ange, Willie Yarbrough, Coffee and Comics Blog, and Michael Bailey. Thank you very much, guys. I don't like saying guys. Thank you very much. Men and women. People. Indeterminates. <laughs> Durlins. We're, Durlins among us. We don't, we don't mind. We Our Durlin overlords. Hello. <laughs> 
Uh, and you, you two can leave a uh, like, a share, or a uh, plus, or a uh, <laughs> or all sorts of comments. Uh, on uh, the best place is, of course, the Fire and Water Network site. So that's yeah. fireandwaterpodcast.com. There's also a Facebook Facebook page for Fire and Water where you'll also find the same things. And if you're going to leave a comment on Twitter, please use the hashtag FWPodcasts. Makes it easier for us to find you and fun. Next time on First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, Manhunter number eight. Next time, sex with Durlins.